Dictionary.com defines the word merry as meaning cheerful and lively. And in regard to seasons and celebrations, quote, characterized by festivity and rejoicing. Wouldn't you love your homeschool to be merry? Today's guest, Celeste Behe, will give us some good counsel on how to cultivate a very merry homeschool. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm Lisa Maladnik, and today's topic is how to cultivate a very merry homeschool. Our guest is Celeste Behe. Having raised nine children in a house with no dishwasher, Celeste Behe has a rare perspective on parenting and family life. That perspective has been shaped by a homeschooling journey that began 29 years ago and has continued through 10,619 extra-large loads of laundry. It's no wonder that in the Behe's bustling domestic church, the phrase, smells and bells, means that dinner is burnt and the smoke alarm is ringing. When Celeste isn't putting out fires, either literally or figuratively, she is writing for the National Catholic Register, Today's Catholic Teacher, or Catholic Digest. A former columnist for CatholicMom.com, Celeste is a contributor to the best-selling Catholic Mom's Prayer Companion from Ave Maria Press. She is also a speaker for the IHM Homeschooling Conferences and is the creator of the Story Strands segment, which can be heard on this podcast once a month. Welcome to the program, Celeste. Thank you kindly, Lisa. It's so good to have you here, Celeste, and I are friends in the Catholic Writers Guild, and I have heard her speak, and she's just one of my favorite people out there in the Catholic world, the speaking joy and merriness into the, into the world. Um, let's talk about what we mean first by Mary. I gave the dictionary definition, but what does it mean to you, Celeste? To me personally, the definition of merriment is that ability to, to laugh, in particular to laugh at oneself. And to not take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> I like that a lot because I feel like once we start to take ourselves too seriously, it's, it's like game over. We're, we're down spiraling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well said. <laughs> so then why should our Catholic homes be merry? Well, if I, if I needed to sum that up in a phrase, I would say it's because we Catholics are invited to the Lord's feast. You know, Pope Francis said, a Christian is one who is invited to join in the feast to the joy of being saved, to the joy of being redeemed, to the joy of sharing life with Christ. This is a joy, and you are called to the party. Who among us doesn't like to receive an invitation. And here is our invitation. We are called to this party. And where else can that joy, that merriment be better practiced than in our domestic churches? Beautiful. Yeah, when you think about it, we draw others into our circles in various ways. And that joy not only blesses our families, but blesses everybody who comes under our roofs. That's right. (laughs) That's absolutely right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, just just talk about some typical ways that we can lose that merry spirit in the day to day, and why do we need to be on guard against that loss? What's what's happening there? Well, I'll tell you the the reason that I first that this merriment this concept of merriment first took hold of me was when I came across a quote by Saint Theophane Venard. And he said, be merry, be really merry. The life of a true Christian should be a perpetual jubilee, a prelude to the festivals of eternity. And it's interesting because by the world standards, St. Theophane had very little to be merry about. He was a French missionary who found himself in Vietnam during a period of intense persecution of Christians. And he ministered to the faithful there in secret. He needed to, as as did all the priests, he needed to uh, administer the sacraments under cover of darkness and in forests and such. And at one point he was forced to hide in the home of an elderly, elderly woman. And during that time, he wrote letters to a friend, and I'd like to read a sentence from one of his letters. He wrote, what an enviable situation. We have enjoyed the old woman's hospitality for three weeks, during which time I am afraid you would have been rather scandalized at our gaiety. (laughs) And (laughs) Father Bernard eventually then uh, did walk to his execution site uh, singing the Magnificat on the way. Wow. So Mary, so could I. So should we. Okay. Um, it's so important, I think, that, our, that we as homeschoolers not take ourselves too seriously. We can be merry and still accomplish our objectives. And we aren't the, the sour school marms of old, right? Okay. <laughs> Humor can help us to, to grow in holiness and to help others to do the same. If I might give the example of St. Philip Neri, he was a wonderful example of this. For him, practicing holy merriment meant always having a joke book at hand and doing things like attending important events with half his beard shaved. <laughs> And this was a means of attaining humility, as well as a way of showing others that our joy doesn't come from conformity to this world or adherence to its standards, right? When dignitaries would meet St. Philip for the first time, they would anticipate their time with him, thinking, we are going to be in the presence of a saint, Uh, maybe perhaps an ascetic. And... What they saw was not what they expected. What they found was essentially a buffoon. And more (laughs) often than not, they would leave in dismay, possibly even disgust. But St. Philip relished these encounters. He really really enjoyed them. So, yeah, we we are all called to to that kind of merriment, I think. Now, what are the challenges to that kind of merriment? Well, as homeschoolers, there are... There are several. One of the things I think is simply, let's face it, the stress of homeschooling, especially for homeschoolers who are 
teaching different grades, perhaps you have a house full of children, it can be stressful. And we can react to that stress, you know, we're not with the serenity that one would hope, let's put it that way. So there is that. There is the homeschooling paraphernalia. You know, when I started homeschooling 29 years ago, we needed to dig up books from used book sales, and that was pretty much all that was available to us. But these days, we have resources galore, which can be a good thing, except if one doesn't know when to stop <laughs> purchasing and obtaining. And so there's the homeschooling paraphernalia that can clutter up our homes, and many of us just can't function optimally in that kind of an environment. And then finally, and I think this is, this is most challenging, this is where the devil really gets his work done, is when we play the comparison game. Okay? Yeah, I'm a homeschooler, and yeah, I do okay, but Janie over here, she is the homeschooler that I want to be. And constant comparison can, it, it, is, it is draining, it is destructive, and it is a, a real obstacle to our joy, to our merriment. I and would agree. Right. We, we try to so hard to win at homeschooling sometimes that the, the blessing of homeschooling becomes a burden, and we begin to rely more on ourselves than on God's grace, and our joy is lost that way. What a great point, Celeste. I just want to highlight that. Number one, the idea of comparisons. Someone is already always going to come out on the bottom when you make a comparison, either the other person to make ourselves feel better or ourselves who can never be good enough. And then, uh, you're, and then we have the sense also that we were, because we're being so hard on ourselves and others, that we are doing that thing of pushing God out of the equation. That this doesn't, this isn't a living thing in relationship with God. This is a task that must be accomplished. And this is, I love that you word, use the word winning. There's that competitive sense that creeps in too. I learned so much from other homeschooling moms during my journey. And I think that's because I was so aware that I was like a fish out of water with homeschooling and scared all the time and just listening to other moms. But even just being around them, absorbing their kindness to their children helped me to be a better mother. But that's different from comparing. That's being open. That's just learning from each other. But this compare game, which is heightened by our social media baloney, which is very useful baloney, but can really get in our heads. <laughs> um, yeah, that can just make it all the harder for us to dig ourselves out and to just be real and to be with God. Right, exactly. Well said. Okay, yeah. So the challenge is then being comparing and trying to do it all ourselves. Wow. And just the, the, uh, the inherent uh, challenges of homeschooling and uh, the environment, which can be, uh, with the clutter and the confusion, can really take its toll. Mm, yes. And it can really it, wreck our peace, right? When we've got just yeah. too much stuff. It can indeed. It can indeed. And, you know, I, I had a friend who, each of us has her own way of dealing with stress, uh, some less constructive than others. And <laughs> this, <laughs> woman, this friend of mine, she was a yeller. She would yell. She would 
And so compounding that that stress in the evenings was the guilt she would experience at having let loose at her kids. It was really, really hard on her. But she came up with a a very novel uh, solution to this. And rather than yell at her kids such things as, I can't believe you forgot how to do this long division. (laughs) Other than that, she would yell at her kids, I can't believe I love you so much. (laughs) Blessing. It is a wonderful thing that you were here. And it is glorious. And that, that was her manner of dealing with it. As an inherent yeller, she had trouble overcoming entirely the, her tendency to do this. So she turned it into a positive. Wow. <laughs> good so that for was her. her method to each her own. And that worked for her. But undoubtedly, the challenges are there for all of us. No question. And I love to There's that sense in the Christian life that our strengths can be our weaknesses and our weaknesses can become strengths. This is grace. This is God upending death and giving new life. Here she found how she could be strong in her weakness by just letting that big voice then, you know, be a a megaphone for praise and thanksgiving. So thanks be to God. And and I really (laughs) thought I have to like sit down and do an examine now and figure out where I can turn some of my weaknesses the strengths. That is a very, very cool idea. Good for your friend. <laughs> Love that spiritual journey. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> so, so when all is lost and the homeschool is a dreary grind and <laughs> everyone's bickering and there's no hope, what do we do, Celeste? What do we, we do? What do we do? <laughs> Help us. Oh, oh, golly. Well, all I can do is share a couple of things that have worked for me. Again, to each her own. But uh, there, there are three things that I keep in mind. And as I said earlier in the podcast, Lisa, I, I mentioned that I like things that rhyme. So my tips are to visualize, itemize, and futurize. Three things that have worked for me. Now, ah. I know many of our listeners have been to the obstetrician and the the nurse practitioner will, when they're expecting, and the nurse practitioner will take that device, that ultrasound device, and put it on the belly. And this thing is invariably icy cold. (laughs) And it's so uncomfortable. And here's the nurse practitioner telling you to just, you know, go to your happy place. (laughs) Well, how does one go to her happy place? More often than not, what one will do is simply, you know, close her eyes and think about something pleasant, you know, a a beach in Hawaii, that kind of thing. Well, if we as homeschoolers were to close our eyes in the course of a homeschooling day, heaven knows what hijinks would take place. (laughs) That is not an option. One must always be awake and aware in a homeschool, right? Battle stations. Yes, yes. So visualizing in that manner does not work for us. But what you can do is with your eyes open, Visualize, imagine your homeschool as part of a comic strip, okay? Your crazy homeschool world is the setting, and you are the main character. (laughs) Now, this may sound goofy, 
but believe me when I say that it works. And I'll tell you what, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with Todd Wilson's uh, homeschool cartoons, but he, his cartoons really hit home and he has clearly hit a chord with homeschoolers. And his cartoons are perfect examples of what it means to visualize the daily homeschool grind as an adventure in comicality, okay? <laughs> That's how we need to look at it. And one of my favorite cartoons of his pictures a homeschooling mom, and she's sitting there saying, an adjective is, Jason, quit jumping around. An adjective is, no, you can't go to the bathroom right now. An adjective, no, I'm sorry, you have to go to the bathroom. An adjective, yes. Yeah, you may go to bed when we're finished. And as you, no, we're not about finished. And as you, yes, I got, and so on. Okay. Now. <laughs> Interesting definition of an adjective. Exactly. That's right. And the cartoon <laughs> is captioned, it took over an hour, but Deb finally explained what an adjective is. Now, I know, I know that our veteran homeschoolers who are listening are familiar with that feeling. That has happened to me multiple times, and I'm sure to our listeners as well. Have you ever been that mom? I would, I would think so. Now, when that was taking place, it may not have been that funny. Okay, but it's a lot funnier as a cartoon. You know, I'm sure that there was at least a smile on your face when you were hearing Todd's, Todd's uh, description of how it might be to explain an adjective to um, a jumpy little homeschooler. So that is the, the wonder of visualizing homeschooling. You can, you can see the humor when you frame your your adventures that way absolutely and you know celeste as you were saying think of it as a cartoon i suddenly saw us all in caricature and it made me laugh exactly that's right <laughs> that's, i tell you it works it it works it works every time that so visualizing is one thing another is to itemize okay now as challenging as this may be the objective of itemizing is to itemize five funnies in every homeschool day. A funny is just, you know, something that puts a smile on your face. Now, you may think, well, yeah, right, that's easier said than done. Five, five whole funnies in a homeschool day? <laughs> Look at it this way. What if I told you that for every funny thing you noticed, you'd get a spa day and free babysitting, okay? You would, you would find plenty of things to laugh about, okay? Be looking for them. And that's the key. You need to look for those five funnies. There are days when it's a lot harder to find them and other days when it's easier. Uh, there are those wonderful days that stand out when your students hand you funnies on a silver platter. <laughs> and if I may share something that happened, I... Oh, please do. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One day at our house after math class, I experienced a funny. My daughter, Helen, had completed a few math pages from a workbook whose pages were audaciously headed with the words, math is fun worksheet. Okay. That was a pretty <laughs> bold, a pretty bold description. Well, when I went to check Helen's work, I found that she had crossed out the heading, math is fun worksheet on one of her pages and 
rebranded the page as a math is eternal torment enslavement sheet. (laughs) So again, sometimes the funnies are just there to be picked up like manna off the ground. (laughs) Other times it may be a little bit tougher. But the good thing about homeschooling is that our children are always there, you know, they're there during the day, they're there at night, they're not at an institution six hours a day. And I think, uh, and I'm sure that our listeners will agree, that that is a blessing. That is a blessing. Not necessarily the view of the world, that, uh, that we are in a blessed place with our children all around us. And um, I'd like to share a funny, <laughs> if I may, <laughs> yeah. about that. Uh, some years ago, a, this is way back when there were very few homeschoolers. We were a rare breed. And so a Pennsylvania newspaper decided to do a story on homeschooling, which was you know, this up-and-coming thing, you know. And so the writer, because I was one of the, you know, three homeschoolers in northeastern Pennsylvania, the writer asked for my comments on it. And so I I spoke with him for a bit, and um, he chose to end his article with something I had said about the large amount of time that homeschooling moms get to spend with their kids. And it was most regrettable that he chose to end the article with these words, but What I had said was, the kids are there when I wake up in the morning, and they're there when I go to bed at night. They're always there. (laughs) And that was his close to the article. But the thing is, the quote sounded like gasping words of a woman who was, you know, close to the end and who would regret this decision to homeschool to her dying day. And I think the writer of the article had wanted to convey the message, homeschooling, don't try this at home. Oh, boy. Right? That was, that was his objective. But it is indeed a blessing to have them with us all the time. No question. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, I can't pull it out of the ether, but there is a scripture that says, you know, blessed is the man whose, you know, his wife and children are gathered around his table. I mean, it's yes, like olive branches. Exactly. There's the always uh-huh. a blessing in scripture. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. You know, the, and, you know, one of our, somebody you and I both know has a, named her publishing company after that thought, the Full Quiver Publishing. And um, just it's a beautiful image of the bounty of love that our homes can be. And of course, it's a warts and all kind of bounty of love, but it is real and it is a huge blessing. So we've got the, the visualization, we've got um, itemizing our funnies. <laughs> what yes. else? To futurize, futurize your frustrations. The idea is that the next time you find yourself in a trying situation, stop for a moment and ask yourself, how would this situation look to my former self? Or rather, I'm sorry, to my future self. Now, many of us know all of us probably know Irma Bombeck. Oh, yes, yeah, she's a fave of many, many people, favorite humorist. Uh, but she, is also, she was also a Catholic convert, which I was surprised to learn oh. recently. Well, Irma Bombeck admitted that we often need to take more than one look at our problems before we see the humor in them. Bombeck said, I will quote her here, 
I can't tell you how many times I've slammed the doors and thrown myself on the bed, and I am calling convents at two in the morning and saying, take me, please. (laughs) It's only in retrospect that it has any humor whatsoever. So think of of Irma Bombeck when you've slammed the door in your homeschooling room and are calling Catholic schools at two in the afternoon and saying, take them, please, (laughs) because the time will come when your frustration will be a laughing matter. So you need to train yourself to to kind of harness, to gather in, to harness that humor. It's like training for a marathon, though. The good news is the more you practice, the faster you get. If you can pause, you know, mid-conniption and tell (laughs) yourself, someday I will probably laugh at this, you'll gradually get better at closing that gap between the time when you're flagging down that big yellow bus, right? And the moment when the humor of the situation becomes obvious. So to futurize your frustrations is, is one of the keys, I think, to, to having a merry homeschool. I think that's really so apt because there have been so many times when we've, my husband and I have looked at each other and said, someday we'll laugh about this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. And when, you, when that thought becomes sort of a regular thought. Um, it, it just lightens up a part of your mind. There's no finality about how dark the day has become or how difficult the struggle is. Um, there's this sense that through grace and time and a little perspective, we will look at ourselves and see, you know, with a little wisdom, uh, that, that 2020 of hindsight that, uh, yeah, <laughs> we can be sympathetic with ourselves, but we can also laugh. Exactly. Yes. It's all about perspective. Correct. That is right. Absolutely. Beautiful. I love that. So the three points then are visualize Mm -hmm. uh, and then itemize and then futurize. Right. Yes. It, you know, it it works for me. It helps to make the homeschool merry. So (laughs) the thing is, you know, it's a good thing to be merry. And yes, is homeschooling a serious endeavor? Of course it is. Why? Because it's a mission that has eternal consequences. That is, that is true, but we don't need to always be so, so serious about it. Now, I, I say it has eternal consequences because we're educating our children for eternity. We're teaching them to know, love, and serve God in this world so they can be happy with Him in the next. That is our primary objective. Okay, so ours is... the. A most most important task, a vital task. We can, you know, we can we can smile while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think too, it's a, it really helps to recognize that the merriness itself, that the attitude of, gee, you know, my family would be really funny as a comic strip, or I'm going to count my <laughs> blessings today and get those spa days in heaven racked up, or I'm going to keep this in perspective. What a lesson for our families to have that atmosphere. It's funny because uh, this is going to seem like a weird example, but have you ever walked into a business, a restaurant, or some kind of a business and noticed that all of the employees are on point and smiling and they're eager to serve you? Or you walk into another business and everyone is distracted, they look a little depressed, the place is disorganized. That's because the attitude of management 
trickles down. You can tell when a place is well-managed, when people are motivated and well taken care of and appreciated and where there's humor evident and, uh, and there's a sense of mission. And the lack of that can really cause things to, to fall into chaos. And even the best, most mission-oriented happy family has chaotic days and moments throughout the day. But the point being that that decision and this is true of anything we do that is movement toward God. And our God is a merry God. We can't think when we look at the duck-billed platypus or, or, the, <laughs> or the whirlpool galaxy that God is not a merry God. It's just impossible to really look at the natural world and not see the joy of God. Um, but that, you know, uh, our, you know, moving toward God in that way, moving toward seeing the good in a situation and the humorous in a situation certainly does open up channels of grace and just and and pure example to our children yes that that is i i love that phrase to to describe god as a merry god yes that is that is so true absolutely duck blue platypus is a fine example (laughs) absolutely yes indeed so you know i i'm sure that he is you know, he, he is pleased. He is pleased with our efforts to bring lightness to our school days. It is not just that he is permitting it. He's welcoming it. He himself is taking delight in our delight. Yeah, and I would think, too, that it, we're in a fairly dark world. We all know this. We deal with it on a daily basis. How best will our children believe in the glory and the joy of heaven should we be serious and on task and doing checklists all day long and, and driving everyone to some kind of worldly success? Or should our days be imbued with a sense of anticipation of joy and merriment? Um, not that everything is frivolous or light or whatever that is. Of course, there are somber and reverent moments and all of that. But that quiet joy that bubbles up in us when we have faith, I feel like that is affirmed in our children when we are willing to be married, to look for those opportunities. It makes such a difference to them too. You know, think of, think of how young children are. They have that natural, um, that natural joy, that natural, oh, what might the word be? Um, Booyance, I'm, I'm not sure, but they're lively. They, it's an irrepressible joy that they experience. And, it's something that we need to cult. Not only do we need to cultivate, not to stamp out, and that that is one of our one of the the problems with institutional schools. It is that that is not recognized as a positive. That is that is thought to be a negative, and it is something to be to be stamped out, to be repressed, to be you know taken out of the equation, so that the learning can take place. So that is not, we as homeschoolers recognize that that is a good thing and it is something to be cultivated. And not only that, but it is something that we could take as an inspiration for our own lives, that we can take as an inspiration for our own lives because we too are meant to have that kind of joy. Um, you know, King David, a very uh, impressive, I think, example comes from scripture. King David, uh, 
We recall he danced half naked before the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, and scandalized his wife. He scandalized his wife. Exactly. She was a little bit of a killjoy, don't you? Indeed, she was. That's a (laughs) fine. That's a fine term. She was a killjoy. She was. Uh, But David said to her, "I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes." David. (laughs) knew, David knew that the Lord would be pleased with this joy of his. Not something that should be repressed, that should be swept under a rug, that should be stamped out. It is a positive good. And we as homeschoolers ought to recognize that and, again, cultivate it and um, well, r- recognized for what it is as as something that that is uh, that we as children of our merry God should experience and as parents cultivate. I love that because he could have been a stuffy, pompous king, you know, in self importantly accompanying the ark, you know, back to the holy city, and yet he became like a little child. You know, when you see a, a little child in in his or her diaper running through a sprinkler in the backyard, it almost has that sense. And I almost want to give King David a Myers Briggs and and like you know, and, or some kind of multiple intelligences test and say, you know, I think he was probably an extroverted, kinesthetic kind of a person. <laughs> now that he didn't do things by halves, but he was like really out there. And and I kind of admire that. And but which and then we have all these saints with all their individual kinds of joy. The bookish quiet joy of one saint and the extroverted kinesthetic joy of another. Um, that gives us a, the permission then to experience and to share and to spread joy in lots of different ways with all sorts of variations and subtle you know, kind of uh, almost like a treasure box full of jewels catching the light in different ways. That's right. That is right. That is a beautiful image. That's right. Each of us has a different, a different way of experiencing, a different way of sharing our joy. And there is, each of us has, can connect with others in his own way. You know, I, I know that, I'm sure that, as as did King David's wife, some would shy away from that demonstrative, very demonstrative <laughs> joy, shall we call it, of King David, whereas others would see this and be drawn to it. Some of us have the kind of joy that is low-key, and but we will reach those who might have been put off by the, the style of, say, King David. So every one of us has the capacity to share joy in his own way. No matter where we score with the Myers-Briggs, we can connect with others. And I feel like this is an essential piece to our children's understanding of the redemptive value of our suffering. Because if there is joy, then the suffering, I feel like, will more naturally have meaning, that there is a joy to come, that there is salvation that comes through the suffering of the, on the cross of Christ, and, and that our own sufferings offered to God then help to share that joy, that increase the, uh, I think it's in the catechism that says any moment spent in prayer increases the treasury of graces 
for souls. And so that offering of our suffering, then we can always be assured leads to joy, leads to more joy. And, and to me, to, to be able to appreciate the value of suffering, it can't be all there is. <laughs> because I mean, a lot of the fam- a lot of our homeschooling families around us, I'm sure you can attest, Celeste. We have a big network here on Long Island. Have gone through some pretty terrible things, and and yet the families with a deep faith, with an appreciation for humor, are able to do more than struggle and grieve. They are able also to live, and to be available, and to be vitally aware of beauty and of humor. Just so important. That's right. And what witnesses they are, that they are able to retain that, that joy um, through that kind of, through, through the most extreme of trials is such an inspiration. And so it is, it is really a blessing to have folks like that among us. Absolutely. And you know, a couple of images just popped back into my head. Philip Neri with his half-shaved beard, that, that link between humor and humility, and even King David stripping down to be half-naked and dance in front of everybody. Like, where are those kingly robes that lend you not only the, your majesty and your elegance, but also your authority? Like, the humility to be before God and be like a little child, or to be a buffoon for others, to, to strip away um, their reverence for you in order to give reverence and glory to God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. They, yeah, that's something that we need to keep in mind. And it is such a temptation, again, getting back to the, the comparison point. You know, it is such a temptation to always display the to be projecting or wanting to project the image of the quintessential Catholic homeschooler best, the most shining example. Um, But we need to let go of that because that is what stifles our joy. We need to be able to embrace that humility that allows us to, you know, to um, juggle school supplies and insert knock-knock jokes into our history lesson, (laughs) what have you. Anything to, you know, to, to keep that sense of joy, to lighten things up, to, to, uh, to be, to act as the children of our merry God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. I think we'll close with that thought. Um, unless there's any just final word that you have for our listeners, Celeste? Well, there's, there's one thing I'd like to mention. I know at the beginning of this uh, school year, I'm sure there are many parents listening who are undertaking homeschooling for the first time. So I want to say to those parents that if you feel you have been called to homeschool, then these words of Pope Francis are for you. He said, do not be afraid of what God asks of you. It is worth saying yes to God. In him, we find something new, joy. Those are his words. So, you will find joy in your homeschooling. If God has asked you to do it, it is worth saying yes to, despite the days when you need to be visualizing and itemizing and futurizing. It's what you're called to do, and God will bless you with that joy. 
Thank you, Celeste, so much. What a, what a joy it has been to have this conversation with you. It's really given me kind of a refreshed spirit for the day, and I and really appreciate that. Thank um, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, and everybody, please do uh, note that about every third podcast, or actually there are four different special features with each podcast or, or with the various podcasts. And uh, so the one, two, three, the third one of each cycle out of every four pod- podcasts is Celeste doing her story strands, which is the beauty and the power of telling your own personal stories within the family. And she's really terrific. She's an amazing speaker. Uh, book her for your next homeschooling event. She is just hilariously funny on a variety of topics. And I'm so proud to call her a friend. Um, And everybody, please stay tuned for the special feature for today coming right up. Hi, I'm Dan Lozonis from EinsteinBlueprint.com. Today, I want to talk about marketable skills, why it's super critical that our kids grow up and leave our homes armed with bona fide marketable skills. First of all, what is a marketable skill? Well, it's simply the ability to do something that someone else will gladly pay for. Installing hardwood flooring, editing a book, coding software, baking delicious cakes, and even the capacity to make people laugh. So long as these can be done with some level of expertise, they could all qualify as marketable skills. Maybe you are wondering why our little kids need to even think about these big people, these adult skills. Shouldn't they just enjoy their childhood? Can't all this vocational stuff wait? No, it's too important to delay or ignore. The stakes are just too high. Because if they don't ever cultivate marketable skills, they may suffer a whole lifetime of economic insecurity. They may become permanently in debt and financially dependent. Plus, they may never experience the validation that only comes from being compensated for directly helping someone else. That's what business is, after all. And while the downside of a marketable skill deficit is scary, on the other hand, the benefits and upside to starting work early are tremendous. Warren Buffett has said the only unifying characteristic of the world's richest, most successful people is not education, it's not family background, it's not even luck because so many of them have been bankrupt multiple times. It's that they started early. We also have to be super wary of chasing fake marketable skills. Of course, the number one most overrated non-marketable skill is academics. I'll never forget when I applied for my first post-college job trading derivatives. I handed the boss man my resume and watched his eyes intently. I was so proud of my Ivy League education, my GPA, and all my accomplishments, but he never even glanced at it. No, he pushed it aside, stood up, and said, let's go for a walk and have a chat. That was over 25 years ago, and today, academic achievement by itself means even less for many, many fields. The list of major companies that no longer even require an undergraduate degree grows longer each day and includes blue chippers like Apple, IBM, Nordstrom, Penguin Random House, and Ernst & Young. Don't get me wrong, academics provides massive educational intellectual power. I'm a huge proponent of prodigious reading, prolific writing, and tiger-parent math. But we have to remember they are building blocks, starting points, and not the end game of life. Now, for real marketable skills, how does an already overburdened homeschooling parent add them to their curriculum? I'm going to give you two huge tips. First, simply make marketable skills an educational priority. Tony Robbins says that what you focus on expands. Stephen Covey said that he or she who has a why can deal with any what or how. 
As an experienced homeschooling parent, you've already figured out how to cobble instruction on a variety of subjects you'd previously been unfamiliar with. I'm ultra confident that you'll be just as resourceful in this department, but again, so long as you escalate its importance. Secondly, aim for multiple marketable skills. We live in fast changing times. No one knows what the economy is going to look like or demand in even the next 10 years. Both blue and white collar work is evolving and being disrupted. That's why it's critical that our kids cultivate numerous marketable skills. Your son is studying coding. Terrific. Why not accounting too? And audio production for good measure. Your daughter wants to be a veterinarian. Terrific. Why not also marketing and copywriting? Why not learn all about finance in the stock market too? You know, just in case vet school doesn't pan out. If you want to learn more about how your kids can amass an array of marketable skills that will bulletproof their financial futures, then visit my 15-year-old homeschooled son's website, kidsgetrich.com. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.